What's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me. My countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. We're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. Today, we're going to talk about the interplay between grace, law, and liberty. We're going to define those terms, and we're going to talk about a listener question that, I mean, it's hard to navigate grace, law, and liberty living in this world. And one of the greatest things that we can do, and this just dawned on me as I'm sitting here talking about this, that's why I do these live streams, because I, I do a little bit of preparation beforehand, but I want to speak extemporaneously so I can order my thoughts and and order through these things with y'all and y'all can see that process I've actually (laughs) I've actually started a podcast with one conviction and one thought and as I'm going through the live stream totally change my change change what I thought I can't remember what that was but anyway uh I was thinking about the the best thing that we can do is just make sure that we're healthy in ourselves. And what I mean by that is don't be codependent. Don't, well, I tell you what, I'm going to read a few verses of Psalm 27. Uh, As much as I read this, as much as I look at it, as much as I think about it, I really should have this committed to memory by now. Boast not of thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Let another man praise thee, and not thine own mouth, a stranger, and not thine own lips. A stone is heavy, and the sand is weighty, but a fool's wrath is heavier than them both. Wrath is cruel, and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? Open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The full soul loatheth the honeycomb. But to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. As a bird that wandereth from her nest, so is a man that wandereth from his place. Folks, those first eight verses of Proverbs 27 are rather profound. They're encouraging to me. They help keep me on the straight and narrow as far as my mission, my ministry, my goals, it doesn't matter what anybody else does. I'm going to make sure that I'm right with God. And if I'm wrong with others, so may it be. I, I don't take this the wrong way. I don't care. Now, what I mean by that is, I mean, obviously, I care what people think of me to an extent. I care what my wife thinks about me. I care what my children think about me. And then I care what the people in my life think about me. But none of that can come close to my relationship with righteousness, with God Almighty. So I'm just going to make sure that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And so I'm not going to look for the accolades of others. I'm not going to look for the approval of others. I should say accolades from others, but anyway, you get the idea. Anyway, let me say hello to everybody. Let me get in the chat here. 
Hello, Scott Beck, Danny Mentor, Connie Barden, good morning to you, Susan Marie, hello, Robert Lady, hello, and Terry Crooks, good morning to you, Scott Beck, good morning to you, oh, I said I said Scott Beck twice. Anyway, um, remember, folks, I, and we've got three people that have commented from Facebook. Awesome. I hope it keeps up. I don't know what's going on, but um, one one person that's been listening to the show for quite some time, they their comments aren't coming up, and I, I, I have not, I've looked, I haven't blocked anybody. Like I can, I can hit three dots by your name and I can reply. I can block user. I can put user in timeout and I can add to the block list and restream chat. I tell you what I may need to do. All right. Come on, Tony. Why is it not? Okay. There we go. Uh, Deborah O'Neill, good to see you. And John X, I'm good to see you. So anyway, just remember if you're commenting on Facebook and I'm not, I'm not responding to your comment, just re up it or go to YouTube Christianity now streams. That's a, evidently it's much better for live stream. Let me put uh, a caption up here. Christianity now streams on YouTube. Be sure and subscribe to that. And incidentally subscribe to Substack if you haven't. So I'm going to read this, um, I'm going to read this comment. Hey, brother, I have a podcast request, if you don't mind. I know you'll be going, well, he sent this the other day whenever I was right about to go live. So I know you'll be going live soon, so I'm not asking for this today or anything. I would appreciate an episode on finding balance between law, liberty, and grace. A question that has plagued me for the last two or three years is, what if I'm wrong? For example, I've often wondered that if I were and, and he uses this word here, and, and I'm not, I'm, I just need to explain it because it's an esoteric term. What if our non-institutional brethren are correct about some of their positions? Now, I need to explain that. Non-institutional simply means that, for, so, and I don't like the term. And I, I would dare say he doesn't like the term. You got to use the term. If there's a line of demarcation, you have to have a term that identifies the line. And so there are a group of people in the United States, especially in the Bible Belt, and there's two different groups. There's a group that believes that you can um, help the help help the needy. You know, in other words, go into the church treasury and use benevolence from the treasury, uh, or, or or from the treasury perform benevolent acts for non-believers. Some people believe that the church treasury money cannot be cannot be hold on I'm getting a lot of I'm getting a lot of chats here that's hold on a second let me let me do something really quick folks um well what what why can't I, uh, uh, hold on. Well, anyway, here we have, why can't I, um, well, I don't know where I was. Oh yeah. Non-institutional and institutional. Uh, some, some churches, some people believe, especially in the Bible belt in the United States of America, that if a non-believer comes up to the church and says, Hey, I'm hungry. Some people believe it is a sin to dip into the church treasury. 
to give money to that individual. And I don't mean money like count $100 bills out to him. I mean to go to the grocery store and get groceries. In other words, benevolence to that un, the benevolence to that person has to be individually, not collectively, okay? Non-institutional brethren believe, and, and there's different flavors and extents of this, non, uh, many non-institutional brethren believe that, um, for instance, John Exum, um, John Exum is a member of the Hannibal, or, well, the Church of Christ in Hannibal, Missouri. I don't know what it's called, but we'll call it the Hannibal Church of Christ. I'm a member of the Riverview Church of Christ. The non-institutional brethren believe that the Hannibal Church of Christ and the Riverview Church of Christ cannot collectively work together for the same cause as in the Riverview Church of Christ and the Hannibal Church of Christ cannot come together and pool their money and resources, say, to send money to a missionary um, to have a gospel event. Uh, and, 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 and those non-institutional brethren, they will support, like if there's two non-institutional congregations, like non-institutional congregation A will support non-institutional congregation B and their event by showing up and into the individuals of those congregations can do what they want to with their own money. But then you have the orphans homes, the preaching school, like the seminaries and stuff like that. Non-institutional brethren believe that, uh, like preaching typically believe that, um, preaching schools and, uh, like brotherhood colleges and stuff like that are parachurch or otherwise not authorized and therefore sinful. Also, non-institutional congregations, uh, those people believe that you cannot dip into the treasury of the church and send money to an orphan's home. But you can do that individually. Now, let me, if you're listening to this and you fall into that category, I will say that I, I, I don't want you to be offended or anything like that. I don't, I don't know what, I don't know how to talk about this other than using labels. Uh, the quote unquote antis, which I believe is a pejorative term, um, the forbidding brethren, which again, I think is perhaps considered a pejorative term, but I don't, I mean, it's descriptive. I mean, their, their big deal is they, they forbid so many things. Um, I I I want to I want to say something to your credit. Of all the brethren that I've talked to that have held these views, for those of you that don't don't think that they're just stingy with money, what I have seen is a lot of those non-institutional congregations the brethren as a whole are much, much, much more benevolent and personally involved in benevolence than the congregations that are quote unquote institutional. There is an idea in scripture called Corbin and it's, well, let me see. It's in the book of Mark. I think it's chapter 10. Bear with me. 
No, hold on. I'll, I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna have to cheat, y'all. Corbin. Bear with me. Corbin in scripture. Where is it at? Mark 7, not 10. See? Ain't it terrible? I promise you too can be a Bible scholar. You don't have to know very much. You just have to know where the answers are. Mark chapter 7. Um, then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came to Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples ate bread with defiled hands, that is to say, with unwashing hands, they found fault for the Pharisees and all the Jews except they wash their hands oft, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market except they wash, they eat not, and many other things there be which they have received to hold as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels and of tables. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands? He answered and said unto them, Well, or he says, <laughs> he said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrine the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots, cups, and many other such things you do. And he said unto them, Full well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your own tradition. Now for an example, and I'm going to stop reading there, continue to read uh, in Matthew 7, um, in Mark 7. Now, the tradition of Corbin, as the Jews kept it, was very, very nefarious. And I'm going to pull this right in to what I think some of my brethren fall into, the trap that they fall into. And I don't think our non-institutional brethren fall into this trap. I believe it is people who believe like me that fall into this trap. And in fact, I've fallen into it before. The Jew, the Hebrews, were commanded to honor their father and mother. That has nothing to do with obedience. It has everything to do with living your life in such a way that you bring honor to them and that you take care of them when they're old. Now, how do I know that that's specific? Because of what Corbin is. And how Jesus defines Corbin. Let's say that I've got $250,000 and I've had to raise this. I have, I've had to raise the number on this illustration because with hyperinflation, it doesn't work with the way I would normally do it. I would, I would used to say a hundred thousand, but hundred thousand dollars is nothing. Quarter million dollars ain't as, ain't much anymore, but a quarter million is at least nothing to shake a stick at. So I've got a quarter million dollars saved back to take care of my parents. But I don't really want to do that because I want my quarter million dollars. So I go to the priest and I say, hey, priest, I'm going to cut you a check for $250,000 and you're going to keep that in the church treasury. You may even use that money and get usury off of it and such like. Now, 
once my parents die of neglect. Because when they come to me and say, hey, son, it's time for you to take care of me. We're old. I'm sorry, mom and dad, but I I gave all of my money to God. You can't fault me for giving all my money to God. Well, yeah, you're right. It's a good thing God got that money, but, you know, we're hungry and sick and destitute. Yeah, I know. So they live in squalor and they die. Now, once they're gone, you go back to the priest and you say, hey, you remember that money that I gave to God? I'd like it back. Now, I gave 250000 The priest is going to give me back my 250000 less a handling fee, which he's going to slip in his pocket. That's Corbin. What in the world does that have to do with our current topic of conversation? Let's say at the Riverview Church of Christ, I'm at the building. Somebody comes up and says, look, I just moved into town and I don't know what else to do. I'm not a Christian, but back home, there was some Christian men that I always looked up to. And they they was a member of the 6th Street Church of Christ in Tuscaloosa. All right. So I'm here now, and I just wonder if you're going to act like those men there. I really need some help. Can you help me set up a place to live, help me with the deposit, and maybe help me get a couple pieces of furniture because we've had to relocate here on the fly? And we weren't prepared to do it. Well, listen, I'm very, very sorry. I can't do anything for you because I've given all my money to God. But in three weeks, we'll convene a men's business meeting and I'll talk to the treasurer and we'll see if we can't get you a little bit of money. That's Corbin. Well, I I can't do anything personally because I've given all my money to God. But we'll see if we can help you out of the church treasury. Now, a non-institutional brother in that same scenario, he would help that man out of his pocket and he'd start making phone calls because he knows in order to fulfill the commandment to be benevolent, which Christians are called to help people out, to do good and communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased, Hebrews 13, 15. B, I suppose, the last part. No, that's 16. That's 16. Um, Anyway, now, this this same fellow with a non-institutional brother, He's going to be like, well, I ain't got a whole lot of money, but I can help you out, but hold on. And this dude's going to start making phone calls because he knows he cannot dip into the church treasury. I, folks, I think there's something to that. I think that we don't need to use Corbin as an excuse not to help anybody. I mean, it's great if you can give hundreds and hundreds of dollars per week to the treasury. But I'm going to tell you on this live stream, don't give so much to the treasury that you don't have enough left over to be benevolent in your personal life. So we don't need to, we don't need to turn the church model of benevolence into socialism. Anyway, 
Neil Abbott says, I am N-I, but for me, it's my preference and not a line I draw. I personally, uh, none of my fellow N-I's who do draw such lines, but it may be as far as I'm concerned, Tony, uh, we be brethren. I pre- And you know what, Neil? If you hadn't have said that, I never would have known it. Never, ever. And again, I, I still stand by what I say. Every non-institutional brother that I've talked to face-to-face, if you can, because that folks, and Neil, maybe you can attest to this, they are so used to being attacked. They are so used to being attacked that it is very difficult to have a, to, to initiate a conversation about the differences and not have them on the, on the defensive. And it's not their fault. I do not hold that against any of the people that I've ever talked to in person. Um, but my hello, sword and pearls. Good to see you this morning afternoon. It's good to see you this afternoon. Sword and pearl just out of curiosity. I know you're in South Africa. What time is it where you are? Like it's got to, it's either early, early morning or late night for you. Cool. Neil Abbott's nodding. I, I, I'm assuming nodding in agreement. Um, but yeah, but once you get past, once you get past that, or once I've gotten past that, I have found again, those members of those non-institutional congregations net positive. They do so much more as far as benevolence is concerned. They just don't dip into the treasury to do it. They are personally involved, and that is something that the other folks, the 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 quote unquote non institutional, no, <laughs> sorry, that's some, I don't know. It, okay, so if we're talking about oh, it's six thirty early evening, cool beans, Brandon Wild, six thirty, cool. Oh, Brandon Wild googled it. I thought Brandon, are you in South Africa too? But Brandon Wild googled it. Well, Brandon, that's no fun. I could have googled it, man. All right. Um, same here, Neil. I can see it both ways. I'm not hard and fast about it either way. Yeah. And listen, if if you can't, if you if you can't look at it and see it both ways, are you really being honest? You know. But again, I understand that's an indictment against people who can't see it both ways. If you can't see it both ways, I'll shake your hand. And I just won't bring it up, but you're not allowed to bring it up either. Does that, does that make sense? In other words, I can go to a congregation that is quite, uh, and I hate, I, I, I hate the nomenclature. I don't, but, but again, if there's a, if a, there is a line of demarcation, so you have to use nomenclature anyway. Um, so I just wanted to start that out. Now I wanted to start out with a positive because I think that whatever we call the opposite of a non-institutional, I guess that means I'm an institutional or institutionalized. Um, so, cause I don't see any re I don't see any problem. Well, that's not true. I do see a problem. I do not believe it's sin. I believe the Bible authorizes us to do certain things that the non-institutional brethren cannot conscientiously do. Okay. I can go support their 
assemblies. I can go support their events and stuff like that. And I don't say anything about it. That that that's that that's the burden to bear. That's that's what we have to do. If, for instance, it sometimes, yeah, I don't want to get stuck cleaning one of those big kitchens. <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, and, and some look some some of the some of the non institutional congregations, uh, they they have they have buildings in which they worship, but they don't have fellowship halls. They don't have kitchens or anything like that. And I would never go up in that building and try to convince them otherwise. Okay. Now, let me get back to the the question. And I know we spent 30 minutes introducing this, but the reason I spent 30 minutes introducing this is because I want to do my due diligence. So at the last half of the podcast, when I'm talking about the differences and the interplay between grace, law, and liberty, I want to be able to talk freely. And I hope that by spending the first 30 minutes about this, that that I have shown that this is not knee-jerk, that I'm not bigoted towards people who hold a difference of, of, of conviction than me. So if I come across as if I'm ever speaking down about or disapproving of my brethren who claim or who identify as non-institutional, it's not intended. I'm just not perfect. Okay. Now I know of, I know of a congregation is only anti in some areas such as eating in the building and orphan homes, but out of the church treasury or out of the church treasury, but they were one of my biggest supporters in preaching school. Yeah, absolutely. Around here, they're called anti, and they don't support missions, children's homes, or have Sunday schools, but I don't think we can say they are in sin. Absolutely, Connie. You, you cannot say they're in sin. Um, let me – there was – hold on a second. I've gotten – yeah. Sometimes we draw lines of fellowship on matters of preference and expediency that should not be so. That's it. And Romans 14, uh, if someone uses the church treasure to help a widow or orphan, God be praised. If someone uses their own cash, God be praised. I would rather err on the side of benevolence rather than do nothing like with the man with one talent. Good, 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 um, good comment there. Um, Brandon Wilde said it's not showing on YouTube. Wait, what's not showing, Brandon? I'm streaming on YouTube because there's folks that's commenting on YouTube. And Brandon, your your comment showing on YouTube. I read it. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, because I read it where you Googled it. Right here. All right. Um Let me hold on a second. I got a couple more comments I want to get. No, that's it. All right. Good deal, Lucille. Let me get back to this caption and I'm going to put that back up. All right. Let me get back to the comment here. So I've often wondered what if our non institutional brethren, so now that I've defined that, I've often wondered what if they're correct about their positions or about some of their positions? Does that mean that everyone else is bound for hell as they claim? Now, I need to 
This is a friend of mine. He and I have supped together. Okay. This, this, in fact, not only if he and I supped together, he and I have been in the trenches together. Uh, he was actually a first year student as I was a second year student at, at, at seminary at Memphis school of preaching. So th- this is, this is not a person who is nefarious and this is not a person who would I, who I would consider to be, um, b- bigoted and, and look, I'm using that term in, in the purest definition. Um, some people, some on both sides of this line of demarcation, institutional, non-institutional, some on both sides of this line of demarcation claim that people on the opposite side to them are bound for hell. He's obviously talking about that. And, and I, I have, I have met that. I have I have had people I've had one person in particular be like, yeah, if if you and two other congregations get together to hold a gospel meeting and you put out flyers that says the first, second, and third street church of Christ in wherever anywhere street USA then y'all are in sin and and in danger of hellfire if you don't repent. Again, it, it's th- those are the folks you just let go their own way. I think about Paul and Barnabas whenever they were contending over whether or not John Mark was going to come on that mission trip with them. They separated. The scriptures say the contention was so sharp. They just had to separate. Now, at the end of Paul's life, Paul says bring bring John Mark. He was profitable to me. So Paul changed his mind. And perhaps if we can go to our separate corners, if we can't play nice with one another, then perhaps one day we'll have enough time to change our mind. But if we're constantly at one another and we can't just turn around and leave each other alone, we'll never allow time to let cooler heads prevail. Because when you're constantly at one another, it's not the cooler heads that prevail. We have Sunday school. We just call it Bible class. We have congregations around that don't support a local preacher, but the men preach and an evangelist comes around yearly. Is that the same thing as non-institutional? Philip S. Carmen, I don't know. That's the, that's the thing. It's that, that, that's the problem with the, with, the, with the line of demarcation between institutional and non-institutional. It's nebulous. It's nebulous. It's it's not uh, not all non institutional brethren believe the same thing. Uh, just like not so th- there there might be a congregation that would identify as as institutional, but they don't send money to orphans' homes, or they don't help non believers out of the treasury and stuff like that. So, grace, law, and liberty. God's grace, if let, let, let's say that, I mean, obviously somebody's right and somebody's wrong. If I say I can, I can dip into the church treasury and I can help a non-believer from the church treasury, and you say you cannot dip into the church treasury and help a non-believer, either 
both of us is wrong or one of us is wrong, which both of us can't be wrong because one of those things is right. It's the only two options. Well, not helping him at all. But I put forth to you that not helping him at all, that if, I mean, if all things being equal, okay, like if you're blessed with this world's good, so if you have the opportunity, if you have the ability, then you have the responsibility to help. So given all things being equal, it may be that neither one of us are wrong, or excuse me, both of us cannot be wrong. One of us has to be right because the only two options is to help personally or to pull money out of the treasury. How far does God's grace go? So I, I think about when I think about grace, I'm, I've got some notes gathered here. I told you I don't I don't do a whole lot of specific preparation for the for these live streams because I want you to see the process. Because I think witnessing the process helps as much as hearing a well-thought-out conclusion, all right? I think the New Testament teaching is so individual is to individually help the widows and the orphans in your own family and the church to help those who have no family to support them. But we are told as ye therefore have opportunity to do good unto all men, especially those of the household of faith. And, and that's a, I agree 100% with that. I do, I do. All right. So let's talk about law, grace, and liberty. And then we're going to talk about the interplay in Christian living. First off, the law. Well, the law as given in the Old Testament, particularly through the Ten Commandments and the Levitical laws in the Pentateuch, establishes God's standard for holy living. The Apostle Paul discusses the law extensively in Romans, noting that its role is in making individuals aware of sin. Romans 3.20, by the law is the knowledge of sin. And this specifically Paul's talking about the law of Moses. But any law, the only reason for that law's existence is to inform of infraction, is to convict of sin, all right? Um, by the deeds of the law, the law of Moses, shall no man be justified. And incidentally, by the deeds of any law, shall no man be justified. And I think ah, that's a good, I don't want to get deep into this, but um, whenever you look at Paul's writings, a lot of people whenever there's a juxtaposition of grace and faith, or excuse me, a juxtaposition of grace and law or faith and law, people tend to think of that as um, generally. In Paul's writings, the juxtaposition, whenever law is used, it's the law of Moses. However, if you, following the law of Christ, think or under the impression that you are able to follow the law and therefore earn your righteousness, then you're not going to be righteous. And, and, and Paul kind of touches on that in Romans chapter four. Okay. Abraham 
believed in God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. But he wouldn't have been counted righteousness unless he followed the law that God gave. So do you think that God, do you think he, do you think he was righteous by grace or do you think he was righteous by following the law? If we're being very, very pedantic, he was righteous because God said he was righteous because God found him in a position to be counted as righteous. Okay. Um, I thought the law was to bring liberty to people. Uh, Paul Owusi. Well, I, no, actually, the law is not to bring liberty to people. The law is actually to bind people, and that's the that's the great paradox of Christianity. James calls it the perfect law of liberty, and and Paul Owusi. That is a that is a very good segue into um liberty. All right, so. There's, there, there's a couple different usages of the term liberty. For the sake of the podcast, we're going to use liberty as in matters of judgment. In other words, where am I free to follow my conscience? Okay. But with what you're saying, the perfect law of liberty, liberty is actually not freedom from anything. It's freedom to serve. Liberty in Christ refers to the freedom from the law's condemnation. So the law of Christ binds us. The blood of Christ sets us free. Isn't that wild? That's why Paul, when he's writing to the Galatians, um, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Now he's talking about the law of Moses there, but no, you are no nobody on this live stream has ever been under the law of Moses. We've never been bound to the law of Moses, but we have been bound to the law of sin and death. Romans chapter eight verse one, beginning, uh, there is therefore now no condemnation to those of you who are in Christ, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Well, the law of sin and death is mentioned in those first few verses of Romans 8. There's the law of sin and death, the law of Christ, and the law of Moses. The law of Moses could not break us free from the law of sin and death, but the law of Christ could liberate us from the law of sin and death. So there's a sense in which the liberty, the perfect law of liberty, as James writes, it sets us free to serve God acceptably, and it sets us free from any law's condemnation. The law of sin and death condemns us, but the law of liberty sets us free from that condemnation. That's good stuff. Liberty in Christ refers to the freedom from the law's condemnation and the power of sin. It's not a license to sin but the freedom to serve God through the Spirit. Paul addresses this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. So Galatians 5, 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again in the local, under the yoke of bondage. Generally speaking for you and I, don't go back under the law of sin and death. Don't leave the law of Christ to go back under a law from which, from which you were set free. 
Why? Well, brethren, ye have been called to freedom. Only do not use freedom, and I'm liberty, as an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Christian liberty is characterized by serving others in love and walking according to the Spirit, not the flesh. If I walk according to the lust of my flesh, then I'm going to be sexually promiscuous. I'm going to lie when it suits me. I may even murder if it suits me. But if I'm walking according to the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, I'm guided by Jesus and the words that the Holy Spirit communicated at the authority of Jesus. And if I'm walking by these words, I will not fall prey to the lust of the flesh. All right. So I appreciate that comment. And I hope I hope I shed some light on it. I thought the law was to bring liberty to the people. Um, and you may be referring to the purpose of the law of Moses acting as an pedagogue, a schoolmaster, to bring us to Christ. That that was that was a function of the law of Moses. It was, it was a stopgap measure to prove exactly how sinful sin was. But I, 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 you, you may have been being more specific than I was. I was taking your comment there, General, and now that I've thought about it, you, you, may, you may be speaking of Galatians 3 there as the schoolmaster to bring us to the liberty that is in Christ. I often fall back on who, I, who am I to judge another servant. That's, yeah. Look, whenever I realized what Jesus was actually saying when he said, he that hath ears to hear, let him, let him hear, it was like a weight was lifted off my shoulder. You know what I ain't got to worry about, Neil Abbott? I ain't got to worry about anything that you do. Now, I want to. In other words, I want to concern myself with my fellow man. I want to concern myself even more with my fellow brother in Christ or sisters, the case may be. But in the end, in the end, it's me that is going to die and stand before the judgment. Not Neil Abbott, not Rob Leedy, not Jason Goldtrap, not Paul Uwusi. Galatians 5.1, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Be not entangled again with a yoke of bondage. So, liberty. Now, liberty, understanding Christian liberty, though, particularly in the context of acting according to one's conscience in matters where God is not explicitly legislated, it invites a little more of a nuanced discussion and it should, the nuanced discussion should reflect the balance of freedom and responsibility within the Christian life. This aspect touches on the exercise of individual judgment in what I call quote unquote disputable matters or matters of conscience or even matters of academic pursuit. And of course, we could spend three hours in Romans chapter 14 and 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 
and then the last half of first Corinthians chapter 10. So we're going to talk about a little bit about liberty, but we're going to do that last. Let's talk about grace. <clears throat> grace in the New Testament emerges as the divine response to the sin problem. And I don't I don't maybe that's not the right way to word it. Our idea of grace is really fleshed out. And if you're just reading from Genesis to Revelation, you'll really start understanding grace when it comes to the New Testament. That's what I was getting at. I don't mean that you can't ascertain the existence and, and have an understanding of grace by reading the Old Testament, but you really get it fleshed out in the New. It really, really starts to becoming apparent in the New Testament. It is through Jesus Christ's sacrificial death and resurrection that believers receive grace, a grace that's the gift that offers forgiveness and righteousness apart from the law. And it's apart from the law of Moses. And incidentally, it's apart from any law. You know, Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves is the gift of God. Grace does not nullify the law but it fulfills the law's righteous requirements through Christ. Think about that. If you never obey the gospel, if you never believe that God is and is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him, but you go to church every Sunday, you put your money in the plate, you're benevolent otherwise, you, you tick all of the boxes, yet you never obey the gospel and you never receive this gift of grace, You're going to burn in the same hell as Adolf Hitler. Now, where does grace stop covering? That's a that's a good question. And I've had it asked before. Well, Tony, when 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 does a person go from I'm struggling and I'm trying, and I'm walking in the light as He is in the light? but I keep slip tripping and fall slipping, tripping and falling and standing up and keeping going. How, how many times can I slip, trip and fall and still be covered by the blood? Genesis. Hold on. Where is it at? Genesis eighteen twenty five. Regardless of what we think, God is the final judge, and he will do right. Abraham asked a rhetorical question. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? I am not the decider. And aren't you glad? If I was the decider, there would be people in heaven that ought not be there. And there'd be people in hell that probably ought not be there. I'm glad God's the decider and God's going to do right. So if I study with an alcoholic or a person that's addicted to narcotics, how many relapses do they get before God's grace doesn't cover them? 
I don't know. I do know that there is a line of demarcation between God's grace is going to cover you and you're in open rebellion to God. And there's not a soul on this earth that can decide that line. And I can't remember who said it, but if I am going to err, I'm going to err on the side of offering more grace. Connie Barden, you took the, that's an odd turn of phrase. You didn't take the words right out of my mouth because you typed them. Normally you would say that whenever somebody finishes your sentence or something. Anyway, Connie, you, 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 you ascertained well where I was going to go. That makes me think of how many times must I forgive my brother? Seven times 70. I think that would apply to us being given grace. 70 times seven. That's it. And, and, and being forgiving is much easier than math. I think the point is just err on the side of God's going to forgive you. Tony, when people call us legalistic, what are they inferring? They're inferring that we think that we can be saved by following the, the legal system. And, and I, I kind of, I kind of, I kind of take that word from them and appropriate it and saying, so I, yes, I am legalistic meaning. And, and, and I, as I said, grace does not nullify the law. So just because you have grace, let's say you obey the gospel, you're delivered out of the power of darkness. You're translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. And then you start you start down the path of being a, a, a killer, a murderer. And every week you murder somebody. Just you go to, you go to town and you find somebody and you murder them. Well, the law says not to murder. Does the fact that you've received grace nullify the law? Absolutely not. So we cannot continue in sin so that grace may abound. Well, if sin is transgression of the law, then I want to be legally right with the law that God has given. And, and, and so I say, well, what's the opposite of being a legalist, being an illegalist? But I believe what they're inferring is if, you, if they call you a legalist, that's a pejorative for somebody that says, well, we need to pay tithe of mint, anise, and cumin. And also, we need to observe justice, mercy, faith. That's Matthew 23, 23. Uh, Jesus said, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint, anise, and cumin, but you leave undone the weight of your matters of the law, justice, mercy, faith. Uh, you blind guides, you strain at a gnat, you swallow a camel. They're accusing us of straining at gnats and swallowing camels. They're accusing us, actually, of not caring about the law whatsoever. Neil Abbott, I always took grace as the offer of pardon. Grace has been given to all men, but not all are saved. Uh, the saints in Achaia believed through grace, which means they had the grace before they had the faith. So that's the, the usages of terms. Yes, Neil, you're 100% correct. Uh, there, but there, there's, again, there's two, there, there's more than one usage of terms. It's kind of like liberty. Um, Liberty, as in we we have this liberty in Christ, which is freedom from the consequences of the law. And incidentally, 
the free gift that, that God gave all men, that God gave to humanity, is physical life. So there's a sense in which we have all received grace, whether we ever obey the gospel or not. But are we justified? Have we, have we sacrificed our life and given it back to God, thereby becoming living sacrifices and, and living in a perpetual state of grace? Well, uh, I have and you have, and hopefully everybody within earshot of this has. As often as they sin against us and repent and ask for forgiveness, we then forgive uh, not until these steps are taken, though. Yeah, uh, Luke chapter 17, uh, verse 3. Take heed unto thyself. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. That's that's the formula. That's the formula. Uh, very good stuff. So where was I at? Oh, yeah. How many times will God forgive somebody who is trying Way more than we think he ought to, probably. Maybe I shouldn't lump you into, into my circle. Way more than I think he ought to, probably. So let's talk about the antis. And the, the, oh, I, I don't, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said antis. I, 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 that's a pejorative. And, and I still feel like non-institutional is pejorative, but at least we can agree. It's institutional versus non-institutional. So when it comes to some of these uh, scruples, uh, that in my opinion, they're scruples. Um, so I'm going to call them scruples since I'm the teacher. (laughs) Well, since I'm the podcaster, it's my show. I'll call it scruples. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Anyway, some of these scruples that the non-institutional brethren hold, if they're right, that means I'm wrong. Does that mean I'm going to hell? I'm not the decider, (laughs) and I'm glad I'm not. But I will tell you this. I don't think it means I'm going to hell. Now, I hope you don't leave this live stream thinking that I'm giving you a license to sin. First off, even if I said, hey, everybody, send me $1.99, and I'll send you your little card, and it says license to send, authorized by Tony Brewer. Trust me, that won't help you. But metaphorically, I'm not giving you a license to sin. I'm not saying that because God's grace is so powerful that even if it is the case that it is sinful to help somebody that's not a believer out of the church treasury, or even if it is sinful to, well, let's talk about the Lord's Supper. Uh, do I partake of the Lord's Supper using multiple vessels or a single vessel? Somebody's right, somebody's wrong. If they are right, that means I'm in sin. If I'm right, it just means they have a weird scruple. So let's say that they're right. Does that mean that I'm going to go to hell for, well, I'm not the decider. I know that regardless of what I think, God's a final judge and he will do right. But I am confident enough 
in the power of the blood of Jesus and with the scriptures that I can read, that I can stand before my God on the day of judgment and say, well, I interpreted one cup as what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10 and the the cup of blessing which we bless, it is the communion. And it is from the communion we drink the contents of that vessel, which is the fruit of the vine. So I don't know. I know that I have no issue. I, I know that it doesn't bother me. Like my my good friend here, what if those non-institutional are correct? Does that mean that I'm going to hell if they're correct? E- 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 even if it is the case that our non-institutional brethren are correct and and drinking out of multiple vessels is sinful, that helping children's homes out of the church treasury is sinful or helping non-believers out of the church treasury is sinful. From what I know of God's grace, I don't think that's going to send us to hell. Regardless of what we think, However, God is the final judge and he will do right. I trust my God enough that the Holy Spirit was able to deliver a book of instructions where I could ascertain and understand. And if well-meaning, intelligent brethren on both sides of this debate are so adamant, then regardless of the intended message, God will take that into account. We'll take, for instance, the gift of the Holy Spirit. I bring this up all the time in relation to issues of conscience and academic pursuit. There are three views of what the gift of the Holy Spirit can be in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. All three of them cannot be correct. Only one of them can be correct. Am I going to be damned for teaching false doctrine if my view is wrong? I mean, it's a sin to teach false doctrine. If I don't handle aright the word of truth, that's a sin. That's a violation of the law. I think God's grace is going to cover it. And pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their infliction and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. And according to Danny Minner, it's given to everyone individually and collectively. I I agree with you. And and see, it's, it's, it's verses like that and it's verses like, um, boop, 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 hold on. I believe it was Sue Ross. Where's it at? How far down did it go? Nope. Where, Sue Ross, where is your comment? No, it's, sorry, Mary Pryor. That's why I couldn't find it. It's, it's verses like what you put, Danny Mentor, and, and comments like this. I think the New Testament teaching is... And she lays out exactly what I believe. And it's so logical to me. I don't know what argument you would use to shoot that down. So I think if you have a if you have two groups of people, one who is an institutional, one who is non-institutional, and they are both doing the best they can, they both believe that God is and he's a rewarder for, of those that diligently seek him, and they are both doing benevolence, it's just they disagree on how it should be done, even if this group thinks that group is wrong and this group thinks that group is wrong. 
The judge of all the earth is going to do right regardless of what we think. And I believe the difference there, the grace of God to cover. Am I being liberal here? No, no, I take that back. I am being liberal. But I follow a liberal master. I follow a master of liberation. So I don't know. Maybe I've got it wrong. Maybe I'm maybe I'm not dogmatic enough. Maybe I'm not maybe I'm not out there hulling heads like I should be. Boy, whenever I first started this, I was a haint. Boy, I was a hell on wheels. I was hell on wheels. I was I was gonna get them. You disagree with me, I got you, boy. I can out argue, out shoot, out fight, out spit. I can doubt, I can, I can get you. Nowadays, it's just, look, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. You're going to stand or fall before God. If we stick to the text, then we can know what God intended for us all to know in any given subject. I fully believe that. I fully believe that. And I think for that reason, when there are disagreements about how, then I think God takes that in consideration. I think that's where God, I think, in other words, I think there is liberty in ambiguity. In fact, to illustrate that, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, and I want to show you all something. Starting in verse 8, I will therefore that men pray every place, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with embroidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing righteousness with good works. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. I suffer not a woman to teach and usurp authority over the man. But to be in subjection, to be in silence, rather. I'm sorry, I inserted that word. So, why did I bring this up in this conversation? There's ambiguity here. Look, I've done some deep dives of this word onir, which is a different word than anthropos. Whenever you see the word man in Scripture, a lot of times it's anthropos. For instance, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, that which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who are able to teach others also. The King James says men. Some of our modern translations uses persons or people or whatever. But the gender is not under consideration. It's not important to the point. So the word anthropos, anthropos is used. Now, here the word aner is used. Does the word aner mean male as opposed to female of any age? Or does the word aner mean adult male as opposed to adult female? The answer is yes. Folks, I looked at this word from the BDAG uh, all the way back to some of the Byzantine manuscripts and texts. I mean, I, I did hours and hours and hours. And this was back whenever I had access to a really good uh, uh, library and uh, ESO, um, Logos Bible software with thousands of tomes, lexicons, commentaries, and, and 
all of these scholars, some of them are like, yes, it means adult male as opposed, as opposed to adult female. Some scholars are like, it means male as opposed to female. Folks, you know what that tells me? The text is ambiguous. Now, what's that got to do with the price of eggs in China? Well, I'll tell you what it's got to do with the price of eggs in China. A woman is teaching a class of boys and girls that are 9 to 12. One of the 12-year-old boys obeys the gospel. Can she still teach that boy? If you believe that aner means adult male as opposed to female, then she can teach him because he is not an adult male. But if you believe that aner means generally male as opposed to female, then she cannot teach him because he is now a male baptized into Christ. He's a male with holy hands. And he is the only one authorized to be teaching in a mixed assembly. I put forth to you, there is enough ambiguity in this term 2,000 years after its use that you can't draw a line of fellowship over it. You just got to work it out in your own mind. But does one sin when they say that one doesn't think the way they do on giving is not is going to hell? Are they not committing sin? So that's a good question, Connie. I'm not going to. I'm not putting you on blast. I'm just putting your comment up here so I don't lose it. Um, I do want to get into that. Uh, so that's why I bring First Timothy chapter two up. There's liberty and ambiguity. And so when it comes to some of these questions that are debated, if good brethren on both sides are trying to figure out where the line of demarcation is and trying to clear up the ambiguity, then that means there's room for disagreement. Now, Connie, good question. But does one sin when they say the one that doesn't agree with them is going to hell? It, it's you don't sin in what you say, you sin in how you behave. And let me let me in that situation. Let me give you an example. If I say, you know what, I do not believe that on Easter Sunday we ought to be letting these kids run around and hunt Easter eggs. And I sure don't believe that we need to let somebody dress up in an Easter bunny outfit and play with the children. I really think that the people that do that are in danger of hellfire. Now I know that's probably not exactly what you're saying because I think what you're saying is, well, the people that dress up in a bunny suit and hunt Easter eggs and that, that church that does that on Easter Sunday, those people are in sin and they're going to hell. I've, I've been very, very careful in the last few years. I, I've, I've tried to, to change my vernacular more on those people are in danger of hellfire. In other words, and that carries with it the nuance. Like if you repent, you're not going to hell. 
I think that I can say, you know what? Those people that do that, if they don't change, yeah, they're, they're going to bust hell wide open. Now, I can acknowledge that there's no authority that I have over them. In fact, I'll tell you this, mechanical instruments of music. I don't care where the location is. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs are to be given to God, are to be sung. The melody is to be made in the heart. So if you do anything other than that in any location, I think you're offering something to God that he finds vain, and I think you're in sin, and I don't think you're going to make heaven. I just preached this, by the way, but I prefaced it. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. I, I can't I can't control what you do in your vehicle, in your home. Now, I'm not going to be around you if you're listening to that music or something like that, but but just me saying that if you offer to God something that is vain and that is vain, then you're not going to make heaven. I don't think that's a sin. I think that's just me communicating my convictions of what the Bible teaches. I hope that helps. I don't know. Um, I know that we've got to be careful how we interact with people that hold those differences of opinion and, and, and convictions from us. And sometimes we've got to be the bigger person. We've got to be the bigger person. Giving has been left up to the individual in, a new, in the New Testament. You're not able to tell me how to use my benevolence. True. True, true. Very quickly, let's talk about this scruple. All right. Christian liberty encompasses the freedom believers have in Christ to make personal decisions, just like Danny Minter, Danny Minter alluded to. Just like he said, alluded to, just like he said. Anyway, um, anyway, the, the, the liberty encompasses the freedom to have believers make personal decisions in areas where the Bible is silent. Now, this is going to this this not going to set well with a lot of my brethren because what do, what do people say? What do you hear all the time? Well, the the the, the there's authority in silence. No, there's not. No, there is no authority whatsoever in silence, and I wish we'd quit saying there is. There is authority in specificity. Silence is not authoritative. Silence is freeing. If the Bible doesn't say anything about how we go, then we can go how we want to. Go ye, So we understand that in the context, he's speaking to the apostles. But this applies generally to Christians. Go ye into all the world and preach. All right. How do I go? The Bible is silent on how I go. But it did tell me to go. Can I go by plane? Can I go by train? Can I go by automobile? Can I watch that movie? <laughs> it's a 1980s reference. Planes, trains, and automobiles. Can I go? Can I go on a donkey? On a camel? Can I go on foot? Can I go on horseback? Well, the Bible is silent, so I have the freedom to choose however I want to go. But what I can't do is bind how you go. But there is no authority in silence. But there's only authority in specificity. Go ye into all the world and 
preach the gospel. Don't preach anything else. Because if you preach anything else, you're accursed. Go read Galatians chapter 1. Absolutely, the difference is when you say in silence, when we're told what we must do, then it's no longer up to us to decide. Everything else is up to our discernment. I would like, ring, 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 yes, Papa John's, I really love your pizza. I want a Hawaiian barbecue chicken pizza. Yes, I understand that has pineapple and chicken on it. I would like to add bacon and anchovies. So, sir, you're telling me you want a bacon anchovy Hawaiian barbecue pizza. Yes. So that's going to have chicken. Wait a second. I, I made this too complicated. I should have wrote it down. We'll just say, Papa John's, I want a pineapple and anchovy pizza. So you're telling me you want a pineapple and anchovy pizza? Yes. Okay. Well, 30 minutes later, my my pizza shows up. It's got pineapples and anchovies on it, but it also has bacon. Did they get my order right, or did they violate my authority? They violated my authority. Now, somebody might say, well, Tony, you didn't say anything about bacon. You're right. I was silent on the bacon. But I specified what I wanted. Silence works like this. Papa John's, I really like your pizzas. Great, which one you want? I just want a pizza, man. Here's my card number. Here's my address. Send me a pizza. Okay. If they bring me a, a pizza with jackfruit, pineapple, bacon and I'm trying to think of something gross camel hair well did they violate any contract did they violate did they violate sorry I didn't mean Danny Minner put they, a verbal contract up there did they violate my authority well no that's it uh, Hebrews 1 5 and 714 put to bed the question of silence always forbidding. Yeah. And well, in fact, uh, you know what? What is Hebrews 1 5? I can't remember. I got to go there. I know 715 while I'm there. It's uh, the, the priesthood. And it is, oops, 715. And it is yet far more evident. For after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest. Wait a second. That's seven. Oh, 14. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing. That's right. So Moses was silent about the tribe of Judah. That's because it was specified that it was the tribe of Aaron. And then uh, 1-5. I, I, I'm not familiar with that. Oh, Okay. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee, and again I will be unto him a father, he should be my son. Cool beans. All right, so we have this idea that where God is silent, Christians have the liberty to act, and we can act without fear because of the interplay 
between liberty, law, and grace. We can act without fear because of the interplay with liberty, law, and grace. We have the law that tells us what to do. We have grace to cover the areas of ambiguity, and we have the liberty to order our own personal consciences where, quite frankly, God hasn't legislated. Frigid frijoles. What is frijoles? Is frijoles beans? Cold beans. Oh, cool beans. Gotcha. <laughs> I'm a dummy. <laughs> All right. Principles governing liberty and matters of conscience. Love needs to be your guiding principle. In all things, love must prevail. Serving one another in love. The freedom believers enjoy should be used to edify, not to tear down. And we need to respect folks with a weaker conscience. Or, excuse me, I, I, I didn't mean to say weaker. A more tender conscience. Like, for instance, if, if one of my brothers in Christ believes that it's a sin to help an orphan home or to help a non-believer out of the treasury, and I don't, I'm not going to come to him and tell him every time the church where I worship helps a non-believer out of the treasury. That'd be sinful on my part. We need to pursue peace and edification. We need to exercise liberty in a manner that fosters harmony and growth within the body of Christ. And we need to make sure that we're always acting according to our convictions. If we always act according to our convictions because of the interplay between grace, law, and liberty, we will be found righteous and we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Christian liberty in matters of conscience, folks, is a precious aspect of a believer's freedom. It requires a very, very, very careful balance between enjoying personal freedom and considering the spiritual welfare of others within the Christian community. So what would I say to my friend who's like, I have an issue, I'm concerned with what's going to happen on the day of judgment, what if these people who hold this particular set of convictions are right and I'm wrong? Does that mean I'm going to go to hell? If it is a situation in which God has been silent or has not legislated, even if they are right, you're not going to go to hell. And I believe there is the interplay of grace and law to where even if God is clear, but we have a fundamental misunderstanding, there's a point in which God's grace will cover that. Now there's a point in which God's grace won't. And I'm going to end with this and, and, and trust me, we've got to end with this. I've rambled on too long and hopefully I've gotten something good out of this. I know I've gotten a lot good out of it because I've ordered it in my mind. Hopefully my good friend listening to this has gotten something good out of it. Um, Guy in Woods. In fact, I've got it somewhere. It's a, a, a DVD of him preaching. He says something I disagree with, 
vehemently on the, right off the bat. But then I came to my senses, and he was right. Do we have a responsibility for understanding Scripture? Well, the answer is yes. But I don't have... But I don't, I don't have a responsibility. I don't have the same level of responsibility to understand every passage of Scripture the same. Like, for instance, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Let's say on a scale of one to a hundred, my responsibility for understanding that Scripture is 100 because it's so easy. But what about, well, Let's do this one. Hold on. I'll get it here in a minute. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit. So on and so forth. Do I have the same level of responsibility to understand this passage of scripture, Romans or Revelation 20, as Mark 16, 16? The answer is no. Our responsibility to understand rises as the difficulty of understanding lowers. And I put forth to you that's different for everybody. I put forth to you, there's going to be some people in heaven that believed and practiced false doctrine who God is going to say, you had such a limited ability to understand that you were safe. We can understand that with people with severe mental deficiencies. But I'm telling you, I've, I've studied with a couple of people when I was in Toronto, and they were fairly well high-functioning as far as being able to live in society and stuff. I mean, they weren't going to win the Nobel Prize, but they, they, were, they were fairly high-functioning. And I come to the conclusion that they, they just they are not going to be able to understand this. And I gave them to God. Folks, the interplay of grace, law, and liberty really helps me in the assurance of my salvation. I think about these things. Am I right? Am I wrong? I am convinced that I am right, but if I am wrong, I think that I will be able to articulate my reasoning before God on the day of judgment. And I have to trust his grace. And that's all I've got. We have judges that tell us that they must judge according to what's in the contract. Yet we expect God to be fine with us going against his contract. Stick to the word. And where there is no text on a subject, we still have the command to stick to the proper spirit when using discernment. Yeah, I, I co-sign that. I, I, I can get on board with that. So anyway, I hope I've said something in this rather lengthy and I'm sure very, very rambly podcast 
that's edified you, that's informed you, and that's helped give you more confidence as you journey toward your eternity. Please consider subscribing to the YouTube and consider consider going to Substack. Uh, you can go to Christianity Now on Substack and uh, subscribe for free. And every time you see an article, click on the article, go to Substack, copy the link, and share the article on your Facebook page. Also, every video that we produce, I would love for you to go to our Christianity Now uh, YouTube channel, copy the link, and share it. You don't even have to share it with any commentary. Just share it. YouTube knows that you're sharing it, and they say, oh, that's a pretty big interaction. Let's put it in front of other people, and maybe they'll interact with it. Anyway, that's all I've got, folks. Thank you all so much. Thank you, Scott Beck, Danny Mentor, Neil Abbott. Um, all, I shouldn't have started naming names. Anyway, you all know who you are. Thank you so much. Uh, you make the podcast what it is. Uh, remember, if you want to support us monetarily, $5 a month on Substack, or you can go to www.patreon.com forward slash Christianity now, or you can send a one-time donation to nearchurches at gmail.com. I usually have the the caption up uh, for the tip jar. There it is, www.nearchurches at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, that's all we've got here. God bless, and we'll catch y'all on the flip side. <laughs>